Welcome to Electric Leftovers. My name is Jason. This is episode 391. And this puts us just on the short side of the remainder of the year. More than halfway done with the season. That's about all I got. Did you have a good good uh, blowy up day? I think that's what they call that. It, it happens in July. and For about nine weeks, people go out and blow things up. It's really, really obnoxious, like really obnoxious, and I don't, I don't partake myself. Um, I'm a terrible old man. I, I have no children. Collective sigh of relief there, right? Um, I have, you know, I just, I don't care. I'm well past the age where loud noises and bright lights excite me. I probably got over that by the time I was four, given how much fun I actually am to hang around with. Welcome to the show this week is, of course, the the 4th of July show. Almost decided to not do it, but then I decided, well, I gotta gotta do something to make everybody's lives miserable. So this week, let's talk Dragon Warrior 2 and 3. I know, crazy, right? Every time you think we're almost out, I pull you back in. That's how it goes. Anyway, Thank you. 
The legacy of Erdrich continues. On your 16th birthday, you wake to the sound of your mother's voice. This is the day you are to see the King of Allahan. This mom's weird. Your mother has raised you to be a brave lad, and you must now carry on your father's legacy. He was a legendary warrior of Allahan who suffered death at the hands of a fiendish monster. If not stopped, the archfiend Baramos will certainly destroy our world, the king says. He's kind of weird, too. Your challenge, your destiny, the destruction of Baramos. With three allies of your choosing, you are set to embark on your quest to save the world from Baramos. Your final enemy? Question mark? This is Dragon Warrior 3, a role-playing game for the NES, developed by Chunsoft, published by Enix America, and released in 1988. And in this game, the rhythm will take you over. Baramos. Baramos. I had to do that, because if you're going to watch this, get ready for Ragnats to make that joke many, many times. Ragnats joins me as we go through Dragon Warrior 3, thus into legend. Um, probably my favorite of the NES Dragon Warrior games. I really like this one. I know a lot of people really dig 4. I I like this one a little more. I don't know, just something about the, the way you get to build your own party by hiring different characters, different classes. I think that's really neat. It's got kind of a Final Fantasy 1-ish vibe to it, and I mean... I don't think I'm going out on a limb here by saying Final Fantasy is, is a superior game to this. Uh, not that it's bad. Not that Dragon Warrior is bad. I just think Final Fantasy is superior. That's all I gotta say. So Ragnats and I took 17 episodes to get through this. Um, getting you some, uh, some episode titles here to know what you're getting into. We have A Drinking Problem, All for Pepper, Dragon Warrior SNM. How I Met Your Dragon, The Current MacGuffin, The Next MacGuffin, Drink Your Milk, and Then It Was Awkward. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing but the finest.
So, Dragon Warrior 1 was kind of all over the place with its reviews. I think we can all agree on that. Some people really liked it, some people really hated it. Uh, Dragon Warrior 2, a lot of people really hate it. Some people think it's okay. A few people really like it. And, you know, normally we go into these things and I'm the odd one out, right? I'm the guy who's like, this game sucks. What's wrong with all you people? But in this case, it's nice to know that I'm welcomed into the fold a little bit. Or I'm welcoming people into the fold. One of the two. The Vic Viper gave it a seven. Psycho Penguin gave it a two. It says, could they have made this game any less fun? Um, Xylo and Horror Spooky both, and these are all long reviews, so we're not going to read those, but Xylo and Horror Spooky each gave it a three. Xylo saying, one of the most important RPGs, but I sure hope the series gets better than this. And Horror Spooky in 2014, probably one of the newest reviews, uh, says, this quest has a misstep. So we got any, oh, oh no. Why would you do such a thing? Um, we'll do that one. We'll do that one. Uh, that one. <coughs> and we'll start with. We'll start with uh, this one and work our way that way. So let me just drag some tabs around and begin. Compared to Final Fantasy II, dot, 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 says Emma the best. In 2018, today, I beat Dragon Warrior 2 today. But believe it or not, I enjoyed Final Fantasy 2 more than it, despite me walking away from that game could have used a lot more work. That's the first sentence. We're in for a treat. On a side note, it was literally the game I beat right before this one, and considering they're both the same numerically placed in series that are still popular today, I figured I may as well compare them a bunch in this review. So why is this the case? Well, first of all, your player character is literally the only person you want fighting in any battle. Your other two party members will always be in battle regardless, but the devs really seem to hate those two, as either of them can hardly equip anything. The prince is supposed to be like a red mage type character, but he was, may as well be a mage, as he can't hurt anything physically for crap. He also gets less MP than the princess who joins you, and gets worse spells at a slower pace than her. The best thing he can do in battle is defend 99% of the time until he learns the only instant KO spell of the game once you're at least 80% done with the game. Which is good, I guess, as late game random encounters have enemies that can instantly KO you at a moment's notice too. The princess will be your main healer throughout the game as... Dot, dot, dot. That's really all she can do, and most of the time she'll just be defending too. Her equipment be even, may be even worse than the prince, however, as when I beat the game, I still only had her starting equipment on her as she literally can't equip anything else. Parenthesis, there's one item I do know she can equip that I didn't get, comma, but it does very little comma, and I didn't want to walk halfway around the world to get it once I learned about it, period, end parenthesis. No period ending the previous sentence. 
Speaking of equipment, you'll mainly only get enough money to buy two, maybe three super useful items, at least two of which would probably be a shield that heals you. Now for other nitpicks, I played Final Fantasy II right before this. You can see your characters in that game. I realize it's purely aesthetic complaint that shouldn't be leveraged against the game as a whole, but it is still something to bear in mind. Although the cast of FF2 barely got any speaking lines, everyone did get some lines. In DW2, none of your characters ever say anything. But my biggest complaint in this regard to comparisons to FF2 is, everyone in FF2 had a use. Granted, you basically get to build that use, but everyone else is is useful regardless. In this game, your, char your player character is useful, but no one else is aside from healing and occasional buffing slash debuffing slash magical chip damage. I didn't think I'd play an RPG that was worse than FF2 that came out around the same time frame, but I somehow did. On the bright side, from what I've seen of DW3, it looks really nice and introduces classes. But guess what FF3 introduced in that entry? Question mark. Parenthesis. Also, I played this with the 2 EXP hack applied, which I'm very glad I did as I can't imagine taking 14 hours to beat this rather than 7, although heavily utilizing save states and parenthesis, period. So this time, the, the parentheses were the sentence, so they didn't need to have parentheses. It's also worth noting that the GBC got a rebake that actually fixed most of these problems and powers up the final boss to the difficulty you probably should have had initially. But alas, I choose, excuse me, chose the NES version to play, so this review is based on that version alone. Three. Emma the best. Not, not the best at writing reviews, Emma. Not the best. Glad you played Final Fantasy 2, though. Uh, if you follow along with my Let's Plays, you will know that I've played a bunch of Dragon Quest games and a bunch of Final Fantasy games, and I'm doing the same thing. Basically, the two biggest RPG video game series in the world. And, and let's side-by-side them. Side. That was the goal. Up until the point where I don't care anymore. Which, Final Fantasy X, because I stopped buying Final Fantasy games after that. And I picked up Dragon Warrior 11. No, 12. 11? I don't know. One of the Dragon Warriors is an MMO, and we're not doing that one. We're doing the next one. Anyway, Poke Jed Servo. I think we've read one from Poke Jed Servo. Uh, in 2004, says different than the first one. Yeah, better? Not really. They begin. All right, first things first. This and its known NES predecessor, Dragon Warrior, were not bad games, but they certainly weren't great at all. Now don't get me wrong. I happen to be a fellow DW fan myself, as I quite like Dragon Warrior 3 NES, and I loved Dragon Warrior 4 NES and Dragon Warrior 3 Game Boy Color. Some may say it would be really unfair to compare these two to them, but my point is that even if you make no comparison and this game and its predecessor aren't decent but wholly underwhelming games. I promise I read that right. However, this is still not a bad game. It does give a nice feel of enhancement on the world of Dragon Warrior, and it's like an enhanced version of the original DW game. Period. Parenthesis. Unfortunately, it doesn't enhance the gameplay at all, which is the reason why it's only marginally better than the original game. Overall, it's practically more like Dragon Warrior 1.5 than a 2, but hey, it could have been worse. It may not have succeeded at being better than its predecessor, excuse me, at least it's not a lot worse. 
Uh, we still have not found a closed parenthesis yet. Uh, we are in a different paragraph now, and unfortunately, it is also as difficult as the first one. Open parenthesis. So now we're we're nested parentheses. Though it's a bit more at times, considering the fact that you start off by yourself, and since you'll eventually have comrades. Letter, you might fight more than one enemy by yourself at first. Close parenthesis. Your are the Prince of Mendenhall, a strong warrior, and the companions you eventually have are the Prince of Canuck, who's a good magic caster and a decent fighter, and the Princess of Moonbroke, who's a great magic caster and pretty agile but terribly weak everywhere else. And you get to journey across the world to fight Hargon, a evil wizard that plans to finish what DW1's Dragon Lord started, period. Open parenthesis, so we're back to nested parenthesis, and it even has a cheesy but cool opening storyline segment on how this whole mess started, period. Close parenthesis, so we had another sentence that in itself was entirely parentheses. We've closed our second set of nested parentheses. We still have an open one floating around out there. Please keep that in mind. I apologize if I seem so biased in this review about how it's such a marginal improvement over the original. I know there are those who liked the original a lot more than I did, period, parenthesis, just in case this is third set of nested parenthesis. Just in case you didn't already know, I gave it a six like this one, period, close parenthesis, so another sentence that was totally in parentheses that didn't need to be. We've closed our third set of nested parentheses, continuing on, and if you're one of them, then do by all means play this one, and I'm pretty darn sure you won't be disappointed in this one. But for those who weren't so impressed by the original, should only go for this if you can find it cheap, and if you don't have all that much else to do. It's not a bad game, but it's something to be a bit careful on if you know what I mean. I would like to also mention, uh, every other your is the wrong your, and every other it's probably needed to have uh, an apostrophe and did not. Pros, a much more expanded world than the first DW game. First game in the series to introduce the, quote, companions, end quote, concept. It does try to improve upon the original storyline slash equipment magic system and world. Fourth set of open parenthesis and a bit on graphics, close parenthesis. First game in the series to have a opening storyline segment, parenthesis, and quite possibly the first RPG to have one to boot, close parenthesis. That's our fifth set of nested parentheses. Cons, it's. Each one of these starts with its, and it's the wrong its. Its gameplay and fun factor have not been improved on the original. It's awfully, not awfully, awfully different, parenthesis, sixth one, especially before you get either one of your companions. It's a disappointly, disappointly, yeah, it's a disappointly small step in progress of quality improvement in the series. Its sequels are much better. Rating six. And we're still all of that from paragraph to sentence to is in a parenthesis. Please, Poke Jed Servo, don't ever get into coding. And finally, Walker Bow, not Walker Bow Olmsford. Different Walker Bow, I'm assuming, or they lost their login, one of the two, in 2003. I think this was the first RPG that introduced the concept of a hero with companions. Uh, 
I could be wrong. Parenthesis. I don't remember when the first Final Fantasy was released over here, parenthesis, comma, but I think this game was the first true RPG. That is to say that this is the first game, parenthesis, at least in the Dragon Warrior series, parenthesis, comma, where the hero actually got a companion. You get two in this game. Or maybe Final Fantasy introduced this concept to the Dragon Warrior series? I don't know. Anyway, let's get on with the review. If only there were a place in 2003 to go and look this stuff up. Play slash control, 9 minus 10. The controls themselves are pretty standard, at least the stairs option was removed from the menu screen. That means you can actually walk up or down stairs. There are still a few unnecessary ones. Of course, the fact that your A button brings up the menu doesn't help much. I think they could have set the menu to a start button and freed up button A for talking, searching, and opening doors and chests. If there's one thing that the Game Boy Color remake of this game has that the NES version doesn't, it's a more organized menu system. You still have to enter your items menu and select the key you want to use when opening a door. In the GBC version, if you press A by a door and have the proper key, you'll automatically use it. But it's the NES version we're talking about. That's what he said. I don't know why he keeps mentioning the Game Boy Color version. I see he does it at least one more time. Uh, so it's not really that surprising that controls are a bit funky. As to actual gameplay, dot 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 no space, well dot 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 no space, um, Emma also didn't like to put spaces after her ellipses. Uh, it's just your standard RPG fare. In my opinion, the way every RPG ought to be. Walk around, fight monsters, build experience, and they go after a boss or a key item. A lot of modern day RPGs, Final Fantasy 8 anyone? that was in parentheses with a question mark, have really complex menus and moves and certain attacks take way too long to finish happening. DW2 isn't like that, fortunately. It's just what I like, with the exception, of course, of somewhat overlarge menus. Do we really need menu options for some of these settings? Now let's take a look at the Ellipses Audio 10 minus 10. Much of the sound from the prior game has made a comeback, but it's been redone. The spell sound is a bit reformatted. Unfortunately, as in the prior game, all the spells sound exactly the same. There's no fiery sound for flame spells or a thundery sound for thunder magic. The other sound effects for the most part come right from the prior game. The music, for the most part, is another matter. True, the level up fanfare and victory fanfare are the same, as is the theme for Alephgard once you reach there, but the rest is all new. My favorites, as in a lot of RPGs I play, are the ending theme and the theme for the last battle with Malroth. Spoiler! Story 9 out of 10, or 9 minus 10, excuse me. The world has lived in peace since Erdrick defeated the Dragon Lord, but now a new evil is arising. Hargon the Wizard is preparing to attack the world. It appears to all intents and purposes that Hargon is going to keep the world for himself. But when you defeat him, you will learn that he serves the interests of a greater being, Malroth, Agent of Chaos. Spoiler alerts! Why they had to change his name to Saito for the GBC remake excuse me, is beyond me. Malroth just sounds so... so evil and so... right. Insert ellipses wherever you prefer, cause he sure as hell did. Oh yeah, then you have a couple companions with you. You yourself are the heir to the throne of Maidenhall, Laurasia in the remake, and you are aided by the Prince of Kanuk, who tends to die all the time, and the Princess of Moonbrook, whose homeland was the first to fall to Hargon's assault, and who incidentally seems to die a lot as well. Overall, 10 minus 10! Even though Story got 9 out of 10 and Play Control also got 9 out of 10, which means it is not possible for this to have a 10 out of 10. Definitely better than the first game because it's at least 4 times as large. 
Rating 10. Walker Bow believes in bigger being better. Let's just take a look. In our detailed reviews, we have a 1, two eights, a 3, a 7, a 2, a 5, and two sixes. In our full reviews, two eights, a 7, a 3, a 10, another 3, and a 5. And in our quick reviews, 10, 7, 8, 9, 7, 6, 10, 9, 7, 2, 8, 2, 6, 3, 9, 5. Um, our, our aggregate, three and a half stars. Look, I appreciate what Dragon Warrior 2 tried to do over top of Dragon Warrior 1. Dragon Warrior 1, very primitive, very bare, very basic. Dragon Warrior 2 tried to expand on that, but they, they did it in not the right way, I don't think. The game is longer, and if it were a better game, that would be great, but it's not better. It really feels... Like, we don't know what we're doing, so let's just make everything bigger, and that'll make it better. So you have bigger parties, you have bigger battles with monsters, you have a bigger map, you have bigger requirements to level up, you have bigger requirements to buy things. But what didn't get bigger was how much reward you get for fighting the enemies you run into. So you spent a ton of time, and this is across the Dragon Warrior thing. But this one's real bad. You spend a ton of time grinding for money to buy equipment so you don't die because it's so hard to get levels in this game. The story is fine. There's nothing really wrong with the story. It's probably the game's best feature because it's not doing anything weird. You know what I mean? It's just evil wizard taking over the world. Go fix it. Got it. Okay, I'm good. It's simple, and it works. The graphics are simple, and they work. The music is simple, and it works. But where this game really falls apart for me is actually playing the game because it is such a struggle, you know, to, to get anywhere in the game because everything is so much... I mean, the, the hill you have to climb in Dragon Quest 2 is so much steeper than Dragon Quest slash Warrior 1. And, and when you get to the top, the view isn't any better than it was in Dragon Warrior 1. You know what I mean? It's, it's really a game that I don't feel is worth the effort. 5 out of 10.
All right, everybody, it's news time. I have noticed that the music for the news seems a little loud compared to some of the others, so I'm going to try and remember to turn it down right now. Okay, what do we got? Scrolling down. We start at the bottom, we work our way up, that's how we do. Oh, this sounds good. Meet Therminator, the flamethrower-wielding robot dog. Guess what? An American company named Throw Flame came out with it. Go read that one. Man books one night at Five Star Hotel, lives there 600 nights free of charge. World's largest roundabout has a circumference of 3.4 kilometers. 80-year-old man claims he hasn't slept in 60 years. Company allegedly fires employees who can't finish three-mile race. World's most expensive cow is priced at a staggering $4.3 million. Police officer reportedly put three-year-old son in jail for pooping his pants. I'm calling I'm calling bogus on that one, so we'll read it. Lawyer maxes out credit card at shopping mall, fakes kidnapping to get out of pay. Wearable ebook reader is shaped like a pair of glasses. How do you turn the page? Well, we better do that one. And we'll do that one. We'll do extra news today, because there's some good stuff. Our first story, school professor who missed work for 20 years out of 20-year career finally fired. An Italian professor who was recently fired for around 20 years of absence out of 24 years of service. Alright, we're not going to read this story now. I'm. Look, you did this last week, Oddity Central. You said it was nearly a decade. And then you said it was four years. That's not nearly a decade. You can't say they had a 20-year career and then literally the next line, 24 years of service. I get why you did it. I'm angry at you. Skip. Japanese company creates incredibly detailed wireframe car. Yeah, no, I'm not going to read it. I don't care. Japanese metal processing company Yamaguchi. Oh, boy. Sakusho has been getting a lot of attention for showcasing its capabilities by creating a very detailed wireframe car that looks almost rendered in augmented reality. And I thought it was. Looking at the picture, it looked like someone just snapped a shot and then hand drew this car. If you've ever played mobile video games or the widely popular Pokemon Go, you probably know a little about augmented reality or AR for short. It's a technology that visually enhances the real world with computer-generated images, basically overlaying digital elements onto real-life environments. Looking at the photo of this white wireframe car, you'd be tempted to think that it was the product of augmented reality, but it was actually painstakingly created out of metal wire. 
there's just the tiniest bit of shadow and a reflection in a puddle. Wow, that's impressive. Um, photos of it recently went viral on Japanese social media because people just couldn't believe it was real. There it is again. The wireframe car is the work of Yamaguchi Saisakusho, a high-precision metal processing company based in Yo Yoshikawa City, excuse me, Japan's Saitama Prefecture. Iso Yamaguchi, the company's senior marketing director, recently told White News uh, that the wireframe car is one of five units that the um, Yamaguchi Saisakusho was commissioned to create ten years ago for a car convention. It was an unusual request, but management viewed it as an opportunity to showcase the technical capabilities of the factory. The wireframe vehicles were first designed with 3D CAD computer-aided design software, after which jigs were cut out of metal sheets using precision laser cutters. Metal wires were placed and wielded, wielded? welded around the jigs and then removed to create the detailed wireframe vehicles. So there's a close-up of like the, the doorknob, what would be the doorknob and a hand on it. It's much less wire and much more like rods. Like it's not it's not real thin uh, uh, filament wire. It, it's more like the size of rebar, if you're familiar with rebar. If you're not, that won't help you at all. Interestingly, the cars didn't get much attention until 2016 when the client returned one of the models, which ended up on display in the parking lot. Since then, photos of it have been circulating online and have even been featured in Japanese television shows. One of the five wireframe vehicles recently went viral after being spotted in Niza City in the Saitama Prefecture. The debate around its existence in the real world was once again reignited on Japanese Twitter. Who owns Japanese Twitter? Can they buy American Twitter? For more amazing metalwork, check out these other things. It is really cool looking at it because it's every line, every every bit of metal is the same dimension. It's, it's the same width, the same thickness. And it's just painted just flat white. No, it's not doesn't look glossy or anything. And it really does look like just like a car commercial almost like we're building a new car from the ground up here at Honda and then you see like the outline and then it fills in and becomes the new Honda Accord this is what it looks like it's really impressive okay I'm calling bull on this one <clears throat> because uh, it would take too long but here's the story woman with chicken bone stuck in throat dissolves it by drinking coke a New Zealand woman who had a small chicken bone lodged in her throat claims that she was prescribed an interesting remedy by an emergency room doctor. Lots of coke. I'm assuming the beverage, not cocaine. Beth Brash recently sat down with the New Zealand magazine Stuff to tell the unusual story of how she managed to get rid of the chicken bone stuck in her neck. Is it in her neck or is it in her throat? They're different. It all started when she visited her favorite Wellington restaurant and tried their new chicken dish. To be fair, the staff asked if she was alright with bones, and having visited multiple countries where serving meat on the bone was considered normal, she wasn't put off by it. Unfortunately, when eating the spicy dish, the young woman started experiencing a kind of tickling in her throat, which turned out to be a small piece of chicken bone. Although alarmed by the sensation in her throat, Brash decided not to make a scene very unbrash of her, in the restaurant and even fought through the pain the entire weekend, assuming it would go away. 
It didn't, so she went to the emergency room first thing on Monday morning. She was informed that she did, in fact, have a small piece of chicken bone lodged in her throat, but the ear, nose, and throat specialist, or the ENT, told her that it wasn't a cause for concern. The spicy chicken aficionado was relieved to learn that her situation wasn't serious, but she still expected to undergo an invasive procedure to have the bone removed. Instead, the ENT department simply advised her to drink four cans of sugary coke to dissolve the piece of bone. She was surprised by the remedy, but she went to the supermarket and bought four cokes. To her amazement, she started feeling better the next morning, and by the following day, she was already back to normal. Quote, that human Drano for your body for clearing it out. That corrosiveness, that's what I found really interesting, Brash said. Dr. Brian Betty, chair of general practice New Zealand, told stuff.co.nz that she'd never come across this doctor-prescribed remedy before, but added that it is a known fact that Coke is an acidic drink that can even break down tooth enamel. It's not exactly the kind of treatment a doctor would prescribe, but if it can prevent invasive procedures, then it's worth a shot. Quote, if it avoided surgery or an endoscope or further procedure, it obviously gets the job done. So you could say it's a reasonable, excuse me, it's reasonable advice that's been given. Beth Brash herself conducted an experiment leaving chicken bones in coke for a few days and watching them break down. There's also a UK study that suggests the fizzy drink could help dislodge bones from people's throats by causing them to disintegrate. What's the difference? They broke down or they disintegrated. Here's why I'm calling bull on this story. That the coke actually disintegrated the bone or dissolved it. So I, I am of an age, I watched Mythbusters, and they tried this, and they left, like, a steak in Coke, bone and all, for like three days, and the bone was fine. Now, I realize this is a much smaller piece, this chicken bone, than, than a steak bone, however, <clears throat> pardon me, that bone in her throat didn't soak in it. I think... Pardon me, chicken bone. I think what is much more likely is that the carbonation and the liquid just knocked it loose. That's that's my guess. Because that, that bone, I mean, it would have to be so tiny. And it still would have to sit in Coke. And unless she's just like got those four and she's just back to back, you know. I, don't, I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. Our next story... Scientists create super banana that could save millions of lives. An international team of scientists even has reportedly created a genetically modified super banana that contains significantly more nutrients, especially vitamin A. Vitamin A deficiency has been plaguing poor countries in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia for hundreds of years, inhibiting children's growth, causing blindness, and significantly weakening their assistance to deadly treatable diseases such as diarrhea and measles. The World Health Organization estimates that 190 million preschool-aged children worldwide are deficient in vitamin A and that malnutrition accounts for 6% of early childhood deaths in Africa alone. Luckily, a cheap and viable solution to malnutrition and vitamin A deficiency in particular may be available in the near future. 
Uganda is one of several African countries battling malnutrition, but it could also be the source of the cure to this plague. A team of researchers from the African country's National Agricultural Research Laboratories in collaboration, collaboration, wow, I can't speak, without that chicken bone, with Australian agricultural scientist James Dale and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has reportedly created a genetically modified banana that contains all the necessary nutrients to combat malnutrition. The Banana 21 project was launched in 2005, and after 18 years of investments and uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation alone contributing $11 million, hard work and failed attempts, scientists have finally created a banana capable of saving millions of children's lives. Cases of genetic modifications in banana trees to better resist pests, fungus, or drought are well documented, but this is reportedly the first time a banana has been successfully altered as a nutritional supplement for humans. According to National Geographic, the super banana is ready to be cultivated, but scientists are still waiting for approval from the local government. Unfortunately, this may be a significant hurdle considering the strong opposition to cultivation of genetically modified foods in Uganda. Such crops are currently strictly forbidden. Hopefully, legislators will take the example of their Kenyan peers who recently lifted a decade-long ban on GM crops. And luckily, the problem of vitamin A deficiency has all but disappeared in economically developed countries thanks to supplement supplementation. Supplement supplementation. I think we've got a, an episode title right there. Let's see if I remember to use it. I'm going to make a note right there. Supplement. Supplementation. And our final story, newly discovered species of palm tree flowers and bears fruit underground. It's Minecraft come to life. Uh, Penanga subterrana, a new species of palm discovered by researchers at the B Royal Botanic Gardens, is one of only two known plants that exclusively fruit and flower underground. There are more than 2,500 species of palm known to science, but Penanga subterrana, a new species discovered on the tropical island of Borneo, well, I'm the wild man from Borneo, is the only one that flowers and fruits only underground. The plant and its sweet fruits are well known to the island's indigenous population, but it has somehow been overlooked by scientists until now. Now, Dr. Paul Chai, a Malaysian botanist and namesake of the palm species Penanga Chayana, was the first to spot the underground flowering palm, and in 2018, Q scientists Benedict, oh boy, Kuhnhauser, Peter Pote, and William Baker took some samples for research purposes and discovered the plant's amazing abilities. According to Kew Gardens scientists, at first glance, the species looks like a juvenile plant of other common palms in the Buranian rainforest. However, these apparent babies are in fact fully formed adults with the reproductive parts concealed below the soil surface. Just like me right now. The ability to flower and fruit underground, processes known as geoflory and geocarpi, are rarely encountered in nature, especially both of them in the same species. The peanut, for example, flowers above ground, but its fruit then develop underground. But excessively fruiting and flowering entirely underground, excuse me, exclusively fruiting and flowering entirely underground, is extremely rare. In fact, this has only been observed in the orchid family Oh boy, Rhizanthella. Known as underground orchids, Rhizanthella are leafless flowers that live in symbiosis with, oh boy, mycorrhizal fungi. 
They have no roots, no chlorophyll, and new tubers form at the end of short stems. It's a peculiar looking flower that has little in common with most other orchid species. Penanga subterrana, on the other hand, not only resembles other palms in the Penanga genus, but also features a high number of underground seeds and fruit, suggesting a very successful pollinating mechanism is at play. Scientists just don't know what it could be. I don't know why that entire last half of that paragraph was in italics. And so is this sentence. I've been studying palms for 30 years and I'm amazed at how they continue to surprise us, Dr. William Baker, senior research leader, said. I mean, no other quotes are in italics. This unexpected find poses more questions than it answers. What is pollinating the palm? How does the pollinator find the flowers underground? How does this phenomenon evolve? And what on earth will palms surprise us with next? A Broadway show! Palms in the Penanga genus are usually pollinated by insects such as bees and beetles, which don't usually operate underground. Well, some do. Researchers hope that the discovery of an underground flowering and fruiting palm will attract other researchers and hopefully crack the mystery surrounding the pollination of Penanga subterrana. Indiana Jones and the pollination of Penanga subterrana. That's right, coming to a theater probably near you because I'm sure I haven't seen the new movie. I don't care, but I'm sure they're going to want to make another one someday.
Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you can believe it or not, but that is it. That is the end of this week's episode. I do hope that uh, you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I'm going to enjoy paying my utility bill. Got it right here in front of me. Sat down to do this before I did the show. And wouldn't you know, I didn't do it. That's okay. It's all right. It happens. It's totally fine. They changed their online pay system and the new one sucks compared to the old one. But what can you do? You know, you gotta pay it. Or else an unexpected error has occurred. That's, that's helpful. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, watching the show. I do hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I hope you come back for next week's show. Because there's going to be one. Like it or not. If you did enjoy this show, please consider spending five, six, nine, maybe even ten seconds leaving us a rate and review on wherever you get your podcasts. Like, like where you're listening to this very episode right now. That would be a good place to start. If you do like the show, and do give us a like and a rating and whatever all that nonsense I just said four seconds ago was, I do appreciate it. If you would like to find video for all of the things we discussed on today's show, like Dragon Warrior 3 and 2, in that order, because that's the correct order, uh, you can do so by visiting me on YouTube at Jason's Groove Machine. Uh, If you would like to join me Monday night for some streams, which... We didn't have one this week because I didn't want to. You can find me on Twitch at Jason's Groove Machine. Uh, new episodes come out pretty much on the reg over at uh, YouTube, so you can check stuff out there whenever you'd like. Uh, if you'd like to financially support the show, help me pay this utility bill, you can buy me a coffee by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash electric leftovers. I'm going to go get my bill paid and... Uh, After that, oh man, the world is my oyster. Thank you very much, everybody. See you later.